Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the main event. Introducing Carissa Green Industries. Let's get ready to launch. Today, we're speaking with Jenny Radcliffe. Jenny, a.k.a. the People Hacker, is a force to be reckoned with. She can diffuse a crisis situation, talk her way into a secure building and spot a psychopath at 100 paces. She has been called a mind reader and a human lie detector and likened to a Jedi Knight. In reality, she is an expert in social engineering, the human element of security, negotiations, nonverbal communication and deception, using her skills to help clients from corporations and law enforcement to play poker games, politicians and within the security industry. Jenny is also the host of The Human Factor, interviewing security industry leaders, bloggers, experts, and fellow social engineers about the human factor of security. And now I'm speaking with Jenny Radcliffe. Hey, Jenny, how you doing? Hey, Carissa, great to be here. Well, I'm excited to hear your stories on social engineering, so let's jump straight into it. I'm sure our audience knows what social engineering is, but in case a few don't, can you give me an explanation, please, from your perspective? Sure. So a lot of people understand what a hacker is, right? So that's the guy in the hoodie behind the keyboard kind of uh, breaking into uh, people's systems. Social engineering sort of does the same thing, but it's without the tech or at least it's only tech enabled. So social engineering um, is a people hack. So what we do is we use the weaknesses people have, uh, their emotions, their um, the way they obey rules, the way companies culture is is structured in order to get past the people and gain access to that organization whether it's their premises whether it's their information their data their finances or whether and particularly in my case access to their headspace so social engineering is still a hacker but it's a people-based hack and that's what i do Awesome. And I know that you've been doing this for a while and I'm, I'm keen to hear the story. How, how did your business come about and what does it do specifically? <laughs> so, so yeah, I uh, it starts off with a bad, really, a, a sort of a naughty story from childhood, okay. really. So I grew up in um, the UK in a place called Liverpool, which you guys may have heard of from the Beatles and soccer, right? Of course. <laughs> and when I grew up there, um, now it's a great, vibrant city. We've got tech hubs. We've got fabulous chefs and hotels and lots of things. But when I grew up, it was pretty much a city on its knees. And there was wasn't lots to do. Um, and half of my family are very senior law enforcement and military and the other half are not. And it was the other half that I hung out with, right? So all my cousins and their friends, um, we were looking for things to do. And so I started with them getting into disused buildings, um, sort of not exactly breaking in, although sometimes we did. We didn't steal anything or break anything, but we get into all these abandoned buildings and take a look around. And when you do that at, at such a young age, um, you start to learn an awful lot about security or the lack of security and about people and patterns of life and those types of things. So I was doing that, you know, really regularly from when I was about seven years old. Um, and then I 
started to, as I kind of got older, I got a regular career, a couple of degrees. I became a consultant. But the whole time I was doing those things, I was still learning all the skills I use now. So learning things like negotiation techniques, how to persuade people, influence, psychology, lie detection. I was learning things about microfacial expressions and body language and about the way um, linguistically what, what, what came out of a statement. So when someone says something, how they use things like pronouns and what that tells you about the person and all the time I'm still kind of getting into places I shouldn't be in even like when I was speaking at conferences and things you know I'd be speaking at a conference and there'd be another conference maybe you know down the hall in these big hotels and big conference centers and if my conference wasn't that great or didn't have great food I kind of get into the other conferences and kind of have a wander around and eat their lunch and things in fact I nearly ended up speaking on several occasions at conferences I had nothing to do with just because I was wandering around the building, right? Um, And so I built up this, you know, skill kit of all these different things that helped me just talk my way into anywhere. Uh, And I started to get hired by the companies I was doing things like negotiation skills training for and soft skills, I suppose you'd call it. I started to get hired by them to see if I could break their security. Right. So I'd always say, you know, I'm not technical. I'm not going to, you know, hack my way past your firewalls or anything like that. Although I had a lot of colleagues that did that. And when we were putting a crew together for a job, I could call in that expertise. But I started to get hired by them to say, you know, can you talk your way past security? Can you break into our building? Can you get past our gatekeepers, our receptionists? And so I had like a, a nice kind of portfolio of people I work for. And who I did that for. Um, and that had gone on for a long time. And I, I broke into some pretty serious buildings. But then in the last kind of seven to eight years, the security industry just went crazy. Um, and and it, I actually got a call. I was doing a conference in Hamburg in Germany and I got a call that said, you know, what you do is called social engineering. Right. And I kind of knew, but I wasn't labeling myself as a social engineer at all. And they said, look, we need some help. We've got a bank and they want us to get into it on Friday. And if you know, we've got no social engineer and these guys were a professional security outfit and they looked at the job and all of them were sort of over six feet tall um, great big former military muscly guys with tattoos and kind of bald heads. And they needed someone who could just be less threatening, but would be able to kind of talk their way through into this bank. Um, and after a bit of discussion, I agreed to do that job with them. Um, so we got through, got past the security, got past the reception. And I ended up sort of walking around this bank. Um, the tech guys are giving me sort of USBs, key log cables, uh, cameras, hidden in drinks bottles and things like that. And we planted it all over this site. I helped them with the report. We filmed everything, helped them with the report and presented it back to the board of this bank. And they were really pleased because what we do after we've done the breaking into the building part is we educate the staff. So we harden their security. We educated the staff so that the real bad guys can't do the same thing. And they were much, much more secure from that point. And then, just from word of mouth, it just got into the industry that there's this woman who looks completely non-threatening, <laughs> uh, who's been doing this for like 30 years and she can just walk into your site. And so I, st- so it just went absolutely crazy. And so now I spend sort of half my time um, on the speaker circuit. So I spend a lot of time being hired for conferences and corporate to talk about social engineering, how we do it, what to look out for, how you can protect yourself and your business against social engineers. 
And then the other half of the time is spent doing education pieces and training. And I'm afraid still breaking into buildings and, and breaking security. Although I do a bit less of that now because I'm not, um, I'm a bit older and I'm not as fit as I was. And honestly, I've spent so much time on roofs and in hiding in broom cupboards and running away from security guards that I only do that now for like really a select uh, group of clients. Um, but yeah, so that's what we do. Pretty specific. <laughs> wow. Okay. So a couple of questions off the back of that response. Have you ever been caught in one of those abandoned buildings as a child? Oh, and when we were kids, I mean, yeah, I mean, lots of times kind of almost made and then times <laughs> when we were just out and out caught and we just had to run. Um, but like, I, because I was good with the people, I could talk my way out of it, even when we were sort of. So I started when I was about seven um, and then that was just any building. And, you know, before you judge me, a lot of kids when they're young, that there's like there's a house that's empty right in your neighborhood. And you say, oh, you know, we're going to get into the house and have a look around. And then we decided. So I did that, too. And then it was like, oh, it might be a good idea to get into it at night. That'd be really spooky, you know. And, and so everyone's kind of knows what I mean and sort of done it. Curiosity. Um, yeah. Well, curiosity is just such a, a useful psychological tool. But yes, we were victims of it as well. And, you know, there was I mean, the first place I broke into that we named. So I actually said to the guys, look, I really want to get into that zoo because I was really interested in this little zoo that was near where we lived. I was sort of obsessed with lions and I would have been about eight. So we climbed over the fence. There was no cameras, no alarms in those days. Um, this zoo has long since been closed down, by the way. <laughs> and, you know, and I, wanted to, I thought, oh, you know, I want to see if the lion, is there a lion and is it locked away at night? And um, we got in and I had a little Sesame Street torch, you know, and we, we got to where we thought this lion might be. And then I switched the torch on and it was it couldn't have been a foot away from me. I mean, in my mind, it was right in front of me. And, you know, the thing went crazy and started throwing itself against the fence and everything. And we ran out and, you know, ran away. But um, so, you know, but it didn't put me off. And by the time we started, like we started to look for a building and say, right, we're going to we're going to get into that one as opposed to just randomly choosing them. Started to say we want to get into the museum and we want to stay in the museum overnight or we want to get into, um, you know, there was a funeral parlor. And, you know, the way teenagers get really um morbid you know when you, it's like stand by me right you want to see a body so we said okay so we got into the funeral home we've got locked in over a night with all the bodies and oh stuff so gosh. so you know and yeah you get you know we got caught not caught and actually kind of apprehended because the thing is this and I was just thinking about this interview the thing is people underestimate kids and they particularly underestimate kids with brains and no money you know if you've got a lot of time on your hands um and you're fairly smart and you've got no money you know you you attempt anything and we had no fear and so we did you know we, we just used to do it all the time and what the reason I was thinking about this is because it carried on the whole of my career so even though I kept doing this right through university through all my first jobs I think I was always underestimated I think partly because I was a woman um I didn't look threatening or anything so you know that's why I've been successful in what I do is because even though sometimes people did look at me and think you shouldn't be on this site they never assumed I was dangerous and that was kind of fatal for them because we were there initially 
you know, just messing around, fooling around. But lastly, I was there doing a pen test and no one ever thought that I might be a problem. I think mostly because I didn't look threatening. Um, so, yeah, we've been caught a few times. Not since I did it professionally, not really. Um, I managed to talk my way out of most things. So I guess on that front, you, you spoke about, you know, being a woman. Do you think, you know, rule of thumb, you know, finger in the wind sort of, do you think that women you know, conducting these types of simulation have a far less chance of being, you know, the dodgy person on the floor or being caught opposed to a male? Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, we're generalizing, right? Because I, I, I'm not like particularly striking. I, I look very kind of normal. And of course, when you when you do one of these things, you're in character, so you very much try and blend anyway. Um, so. So so in one sense, because you don't look big and threatening and I'm not very, if you like, extra, you know, so I don't look, you know, I'm not sort of striking looking. I get, I, I managed to kind of blend a little bit better. Um, but that's assuming that the people who are looking for you are men because female security guards are absolutely uh, on the lookout for female social engineers. So I think in general, um, female social engineers get away with it more just because of those factors um but the few times i've been seriously made and you know i knew that they were onto me i've had to hide and run away um it was nearly always with a female security guard so so it depends on the dynamic right but um in general yeah we get away with it much better because we don't look as frightening well i guess that's somewhat reassuring but i'm gonna have to ask you this question what is the biggest or maybe the worst thing that you have talked your way out of, if you can share that. Oh, well, I think there's some things I couldn't say, but there's been many times when there's been, and, and you know, we're in the UK, right? So our gun control laws are very strong, but there's been times when there's been an armed response. Um, and we had one particular occasion where there's an armed response inside of two minutes. So someone on site knows that this test has taken place just so that they don't press alarm buttons or call the police and waste time. Right. So, um, but there's been an armed response within two minutes and we knew that if they saw us, if we if we were if security knew we were there, then they could call in this armed response. And that was, you know, that was pretty that raised all the stakes, right? Quite high. I've also had um guard dogs sent uh, after me. So so uh, a large site, quite a secure site, although not, you know, as secure as some of the sites I've been on, but the, the security detail had uh, dogs and they let them go in the grounds. So we knew that there was um, guard dogs on the grounds looking for Just intruders. <laughs> yeah. Well, hunting, and I not to, roaming, I should say. Hunting me. And I was kind of like, you know, this is not nice. And I really, and I, I'm, you know, I'm not a fan of being attacked by dogs. So I think, I think that was probably the worst. In, the one that I remember that when we left and I got into the car to leave and, you know, to finish the job and do the report, I remember, I remember feeling like I was going to be sick and that was the adrenaline and just feeling like I, I was, you know, I was frightened, but I mean, mostly, um, it's just physical. It's just the distances. I mean, I've been on the roof of a lot of places and we knew that people knew that there was an intruder on site um, and they're coming for you. You know, we've gone up to the roof and I've been sitting on roofs sometimes for hours waiting for that to to go away. So, yeah, the, 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 it can be quite full on. <laughs> 
Well, I could imagine, you know, getting hunted by dogs and sitting on reefs for hours is not, a, you know, a normal thing that that people do all the time. I mean, I don't know, probably in this world they do. But, I mean, you know, so what are some of the techniques that you would use? And I, and I, I know that there's certain things you can cover and you can talk about and not talk about, but I'm interested to see what what is something that's so basic and so generic that anyone could sort of adopt and that people really overlook that as something that, you know, it raises alarm bells okay so the the basic thing is uh, i mean the, the basic thing is social media right so i quote something when i do talks i quote uh, zuckerberg and he said you know it's not what we want to know about people it's what people choose to tell us about themselves and there are people now put so much information out there that for, for me to build a profile of that person to find out what they like what they dislike um you know who they're friends with where they you know eat where they socialize where they go to the gym or whatever it's just so easy now so back in the day we do proper surveillance you know physical surveillance outside of sight maybe follow people home listen to the conversations in the in the restaurants and the coffee shops but now nine times out of ten i don't need to do that i just can spend a morning doing some open source intelligence um not even to any great depth um and just join all those sort of uh, little pieces of information to make a picture of what that person is really like and then if i need to send an email or make a call or even when i turn up on site i know those people as well as anyone you know as well as anyone they work with you know, more or less, so that it's so believable. So I think the thing that people do and that they overlook is the value to a malicious attacker of information like, you know, I always eat at this restaurant or I work out at this gym or, you know, this is my best friend. Um, That's sort of the most basic things are the things that malicious attackers use to really look, to build two things, a sense of trust and a sense of familiarity. So that when that attacker actually makes that first contact, it's believable, it's non-threatening and it's familiar to the person. So those people, so what people should do is be very careful about these little details online and they're just not, you know, um, and that's really one of the basic things people overlook. Well, you know, I think that's something that a lot of people, uh, especially, you know, outside the security industry, uh, are probably not mindful of or conscious of. And I think it's something that people need to, to, to start thinking about because, again, everything definitely is online. And I know that before, sorry to go back, you mentioned, you know, you're obviously not from a you know technical background, but can you please explain the psychology around social engineering and, and why this angle is important? Yeah, because because you see, what you're looking to do is you're looking for people when you first meet them have this shield up, right? So we have like a social shield. So we don't, you know, people aren't stupid. They're looking, they know not to tell a stranger, you know, too much detail about their lives. And so what you're looking to do is to very quickly build rapport. Okay, so you want that person to to drop that shield, to feel like they can trust you um, very quickly and to be able to talk to you quickly, because when we talk, we're off script. Right. So so if you can get them to sort of go off script and just just chat away. I was doing a job last week uh, and I found this lady and I'm chatting to her and I said, God, you know, I was looking for somewhere to um 
you know, just to sit down. I've been so busy. I said, is this where you guys all hang out? Like, you know, she's smoking a cigarette and stuff. And I was like, you know, is, there, is this where security guys go? I mean, where'd you all go? And it's, and you know, and because I seem so innocent sort of thing, she's like, oh no, you know, there's a back entrance and, you know, really you're not meant to come out here because, you know, you need to use your card to swipe in and out. But, you know, if you go the back way, that's our designated area. And, you know, we don't have to take our passes there because that's where, you know, that, that that's contained and I said yeah but you can't just walk in and out she said oh no no we can you know the gate doesn't really lock so and you know so it's that kind of you know now I know that I can go I can I have access to your building and to your people so it's like it, it really is just an acute understanding of the the sort of things that people experience but, but having the the desire to get closer and, and I mean a lot of the things are things like emotion so we would be trying to provoke I always talk about you know principal emotions of fear and of greed and of flattery so if you can get anyone in a heightened state of emotion so let's take fear let's imagine that i call a help desk right and what i'm trying to do is build a picture of operational detail so you know how does if i wanted to transfer money how can i get the get the lady or the guy in accounts to change address details or bank details on, on a payment right so it's a patient con so what i'm going to look to do is over a period of time speak to lots of people not do anything too blatant but get them to give me some little details about how it works in their business, all right? Um, and let's imagine that I get someone who's a little bit suspicious or, you know, not very helpful. We use fear by saying something like, sorry, what was your full name? Tell me your full, what's your supervisor's name? You see, because I thought this was a help desk and you're not being very helpful. And all I want is this. And, you know, and I'm your colleague from another office and I'm in a rush. And then I drop a few names of directors. And I really think that you should you could help me more, don't you think? And it's that type of um, just introducing that doubt, that anxiety into people's heads. It raises their emotion. And when our emotions are raised, our decision-making capacity depletes, right? So it's just like an up and down. So the more emotional you can get someone to be, the less likely they are to make good decisions. And in that moment, if you can lead them to what you want, they'll follow. Now, that's not everyone all of the time, but it's enough people enough of the time to facilitate that social engineering attack. Um, and so, you know, greed would work in a similar way. I always give the example, you know, oh, hi, you know, I, my name's Simone and I'm a headhunter and we've got your name and number from a colleague. Uh, we've got a position we think you'd love, but um, I can't tell you too much about it until I know a little bit more about what you do. So what system are you familiar with? You know, and this might be to a, to a tech team. What system are you working on right now? And, you know, is it a big team? Um, you know, do you cover each other when you're away? I mean, how do you cope in an emergency? You know, and was it, a re you know, if you be, I mean, did you have a ransomware attack recently? Um, and how did that work? And because they've got this curiosity about the job um, and they want to know who recommended them, they say far more in those circumstances than they might in a different type of circumstance. And then from a technical point of view, then we'd say, well, look, you know, I, can, I think I can tell you you've done really well. You're down to our shortlist, the job pays, and then you'd say a huge salary, much more than they'd expect. Um, but I need you to sign an NDA now um, before I can give you the details of who recommended you in the exact package. But I can tell you now that you're on our shortlist already. So shall I send that through? Um, and, you know, it just and that's greed, right? Or, or, or temptation, I suppose. It's, it's whatever you think 
is required to get the emotion up and the decisions down. Don't give them too much time to think about it and in it goes. And we find that mostly that's all we really need. Okay, I'm um, starting to get scared that you could potentially start sexually engineering me on this. <laughs> so what I say, Carissa, is this. This is what I say to people because people say this all the time. I say, are you paying me a large amount of cash to socially engineer you? That's true. So I'm saying... Yeah, if you're not paying me a large amount of cash to do it, then I'm not doing it, babe. Don't you worry. <laughs> you're saying it so so well that I was like, oh my, oh my gosh, maybe I should not ask some of these questions in case in case she starts putting it back on me. No, no. You see, and and, and it, it doesn't because I am. I mean, I don't believe in white hat and black hat. I think there's only fifty shades of grey. But I am not Snow White. But I'm certainly on the side of the angels, and I don't do it for fun. I promise. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> not, but not anymore. No, exactly. Thanks for picking me up on that. <laughs> so I know, you know, a lot of people who I personally know that are technical, what's your opinion on how people who are technical versus people who aren't, is there a major gap in capability in order to do this type of work or is it merely a, a different result? Yeah, I mean, most technical hacks have a social engineering element in them anyway. I mean, there's usually a zero day person for most things, right? So someone clicks on the link or someone gives into the ransomware demand or something like that. So there's usually because there's always a human somewhere in the chain um, the technical guys still use it. I think I think the difference is that I had to just use this because, as I say, I just didn't train technically at all. Um, and I don't think that there's any real, you know, I'm often asked, you know, well, what you know, what you need to be a good social engineer. I think to be, you know, to do some social engineering, you just need a, an understanding of, of some of the techniques and of of how to kind of construct things so that people respond to them. Um, but you know, I think I think at the higher level, the skill set. Is, is really a deep understanding of people and an idea in your head that it's actually about protecting people and therefore, I, you know, I need to understand people really, really well in order to protect them. Um, and I think that's the difference. It's that I think it's all about the people at every level. And I think sometimes the technical guys perhaps um, see that it's all about the, the technology, but it's not a gap. It's just different skill sets, you know, it's just two different things. And I work with a lot of technical people and we complement each other. So I don't know if that answers the question, really. But I mean, you know, there's an element of it in everything that we do from a security perspective. And some of the most admired, most famous security technical people that I've ever met um, all agree that the social engineering side, the people side is going to always come into things. So, so it's, it's just part of the whole spectrum of security, you know, full stop really. So I guess, I guess on that front, you know, where do you, so, you know, you're doing, you said, you know, people pay large sums of cash to be able to perform these simulations. So where do you believe organizations need to start countering social engineering um, susceptibility? See, it's not a difficult thing to do and they don't have to pay massive amounts of money to counter it. Um, I mean, it lies in knowing, I shouldn't know the people at a target company better than their bosses and their managers. And really it's about line management level, you know, it's it's about understanding um, 
when someone's behaving out of character, for example, um, and I'll touch you in a minute about what I mean by that, because that's to do with insider threat. But it's to do with really understanding your people and not blaming people when they are fooled. Right. Because what happens in the industry is that we find that people have been conned. They get blamed for being conned by a con artist which is ridiculous. But what it also does is it stops people reporting when they're suspicious. It stops people reporting when they almost being conned. Um, so people shouldn't be more scared of raising their hands and saying, you know what, I think I made a mistake. They shouldn't be more scared of that than giving away information to the wrong person, right? So they should feel that they can relate to their management, to their leaders, and they should be led by them to be more secure. If that if that's there, so if people are sympathetic to the threat and to the people that might be targeted, then it's really just an awareness piece, you know? It's just a case of saying, be careful on the phone if someone rushes you, if someone makes you feel emotional in some way, if someone, you know, if you have a conversation with someone, and you, you get off the phone and you think, you know, I gave an awful lot away that I, you know, that other person hardly spoke, but we were on the phone for like half an hour. So I spoke more than them. So there's all these kind of red flags um, that people just need to know about. And, and I think social engineering is a really good way of starting an awareness piece in a business for security, however big or small that business is, because it's just such a human thing. You know, people can imagine um, a con artist, a villain, if you like, at the end of the phone or breaking into their building easier than they can imagine some crazy virus or um you know ransomware attack or whatever um you know that's just a little bit detached from humanity sometimes you know it seems so technical and so um in the ether it's difficult to connect with so so you know i always say start with social engineering on an awareness piece because that's how you how you you bring into the business a more secure culture so if you start to say well look you know people are trying to elicit information from you on the phone they might send emails that are not genuine and it's not just a phishing email right i mean you know that's part of it but the industry's got you know you can spend as much or as little as you like on phishing emails right and that's dealt with but what about a spear phishing email what about an email that spoke directly to you spoke about people you knew about places you've eaten about things that you like seems really genuine it's going to spark curiosity it's going to make you feel more trusting you know when we tell people about these types of things they start to really imagine what might be possible there's a better story behind social engineering than there is behind a lot of the technical attacks and it's stories that people remember and it's stories that people relate to so start with that and then they start to see the value of having say a strong password or the value of holding back a little on social media <clears throat> and it's those things uh, that lead to a better a more secure company and that needn't cost a fortune but it does take time and it does take focus uh, and some empathy um, with the fact that people are just human so go on I was just going to ask do you think that's the so you talk about awareness and obviously you know people being humans do you think that's the you know is that what's missing the mark on this front at the moment from your perspective yeah it's just that people don't people are not suspecting you know hackers look like hackers right uh, and they attack you through your computer in some you know weird technical way you know your average employee 
just doesn't care about it's just one more thing to worry about right we're worried about i don't know plastics in the ocean and you know the world descending into nuclear war oh and now you've got to worry about hackers as well it's just too far away from what their reality is but if you say someone is going to look at what you post on facebook or other social media sites are available is going to look at what you do online they're going to check to see where you know your your routines and your patterns and your passions and there's a possibility that they'll use that to get to you to then get to the business your business or, or a larger company that you work for you know and you can protect yourself a little bit by being more careful well that's relatable that's digestible it's easier for people to understand um and, but if you don't tell them they won't know um, and, and one of the things that really annoys me actually is the way the industry sort of takes the idea of fear right so they talk about oh we can't sell on fear you mustn't you mustn't frighten people. It's just the most patronizing, ridiculous thing in the world. Of course, we don't just sell on fear, but you can't patronize people. You have to say, you know, from just a few details of your life, someone with malintent can take you apart. So this is a, examples of how that can be done. And then people can go away and, and sort of judge the risk themselves. Right. So they can then say, well, OK, maybe I do overshare, you know, maybe I have got weak passwords. You've got it. This is a people led security initiative in every business and for personal people's personal lives. So if it's led by individuals, individuals need to be made fully aware of the potential. Now, if we do that, then they'll protect themselves. And by protecting themselves, they'll protect the businesses. But you can't say you know, we can't frighten people. You know, security breaches are dangerous, widespread and personal in their nature. So people have to understand that fully. Yeah, you're right. And I guess, you know, we are seeing a rise in the prevalence of, you know, breaches and everything like that, but in particular social engineering. So how do you see this changing given current corporate attitudes towards this in your experience? Do you know, I'm really positive, actually, really, really positive. I am getting more and more, um, I'm being challenged more on pen tests. We're getting more and more awareness. You know, I think some of the, you know, the big breaches that make the headlines globally and people are kind of more aware of the fact that this is a possibility. People are living their lives online more and using more and more apps and things. So I think, you know, at sort of like a very basic level, the message is starting to sink in quite a bit i mean i still go to some places where it's just fish in a barrel right no one's no no, people are holding the doors open for me Mm. and making me cups of coffee in the middle of pen tests and silly things like that but mostly corporate is um businesses are aware of it and they're trying to make people more aware of their privacy and how that's connected to security and things like that so i'm quite positive um that you know the efforts of the industry are starting to have an effect i think though as the technology gets more sophisticated, as we get things like use, user behavioral analytics, um, as we get more um, sophisticated digital ways of preventing um, intrusion and attack, it's more and more likely that we'll, we'll go back to people-based attacks because it's quicker, it's more efficient um, than spending a lot of time trying to get past sophisticated technology. So what's, so on the one hand, I'm really optimistic that I think people will, you know, will be more aware of something like a tailgating um attack you know they'll, they'll stop people just walking into a business but on the other hand uh, and i've given lots of talks to very technical audiences and, and, and very sort of um uh, serious or 
audiences about this. We can only expect that the type of social engineering attack that's going to target businesses is going to get deeper, nastier uh, and more personal because it's the oldest trick in the book. It works more often than it doesn't work because the people are always going to be vulnerable, you know. So I see it sort of two ways surface level plenty of stuff out there you can buy little videos and online courses and things that you can give to staff and you know help them sort of be slightly more aware and at that level it'll it's going to take hold i think a lot of, in a lot of places but on the um if we look at it from a from an industry perspective and from a security perspective the attacks are going to move on from tailgating and fishing to more um nastier uh, human-based attacks. So I agree with that. I, I, I totally understand, obviously, because everyone's information's online. For, for an executive listening to this, what would be your advice for them to approach this situation? Well, I mean, there's, it depends. I mean, there's a lot of information online, but in a way that's part of the problem, right? There's content about this everywhere. You don't need to spend a lot of money um, to get, you know, to ask your staff to watch videos about um, social engineering. So, so you know, you, you've got to start with awareness. You've got to start with letting people know that, you know, there are three ways they might be attacked. Um, in-person attacks on the premises, telephone attacks um, to gather information um, or to call people to action to do certain things and obviously anything sort of digitally right so those three things people need to understand that they are ways that they can be targeted as individuals to get to the business so you know find I would say to someone who runs a business now find a program or a vendor um, who you're happy with whose style fits your organisational culture you know so if you're a young funky little media company I can't think of any right now uh, you know, you, it might it might be that there, you know, you get them to listen to some podcasts. It might be that you, you know, you find some little videos. Someone might, pr- pr- you know, produce something little funky little training program. Get them to do that. If you're a more, um, you know, established company that perhaps runs things more formally, then find something that worked before. You know, you, you've had to change behaviour before in your business. What changes behaviour? Um, and use those ways that have succeeded for your company before. So initially, you need to do that. But what I would say is. If there is no point in spending millions or thousands or even hundreds on any kind of technical or digital protection, if you do not tell your people that this is going to come at them as well. It's like having a huge fortress, right, with a moat and a gate and and guards on all, you know, on all the roofs and on all the turrets and they're watching for intruders, but they leave the back door open because there's a coffee delivery at 10 every day. You know, you don't be short sighted. This is a huge hole in the road that businesses need to cover. They can cover it more cheaply than technical solutions. And it's more effective in many ways than the technical stuff, because if you can get your eyes and ears in the business focused on this, then they will help protect themselves and the business by default. And, you know, that's the message. Don't leave the human side unattended. Don't, for the sake of a small amount of investment and time and focus, leave yourself vulnerable to these attacks. Because if you do, someone who does my job but with malintent will be all over you very quickly. 
that would be my message. Available to, to, available to talk about it if someone wants to pay for me to come to Australia, you know. But no, that's what I would say. <laughs> no, no, I didn't actually. Um, and I'm a huge surfer, right? So I love surfing. I mean, I'm not a very fit surfer, but I love surf and I love the whole lifestyle. So um, totally on my hit list if someone wants to hear about this stuff. <laughs> I'm sure you'd fit in very well. So firstly, I think you're awesome. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> and secondly, how can people reach out to you to be like, we want this lady to like come into our building and do all these sorts of things because I think you're amazing and people should definitely reach out to you. So, yeah, I'm real easy to find, ironically. So um, if you, you can hit me up on LinkedIn. Um, my handle on social media is The People Hacker. So I'm on Twitter as The People Hacker or Jenny Radcliffe. Uh, the website's jennyradcliffe.com, which is about to be updated to The People Hacker, but you'll still find me on my name. Um, but also I have a podcast. So I have a podcast called The Human Factor. Um, it's the original Human Factor, except no imitations, because this stuff is suddenly very popular. Um, and you'll see my logo is sort of a blue brain. So you'll always catch me with that blue brain and I'm on um, as I say all over social media Instagram as well so I'm easy to find awesome well thank you so much for your time and let's do this again soon thanks so much thanks again for joining us I hope you got some insights from this episode of KB Cast with me KB don't forget to subscribe on iTunes Stitcher or Google Play to get every new episode as it's released And as always, show notes are available from kbcast.com for every single episode. We're building a community, so always love to get feedback, ideas, or questions on hello at kbcast.com. Keep on keeping on.